2: Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. And we've got a special group of guests on today. We're going to be talking about homebrewing and the American Homebrewers Association. So let's go around the room and introduce everyone. Let's start with Julia.
3: Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this amazing show. I'm a total fan. Um, of Jimmy and everything going on um, with all the work here talking about beer and culture. I am talking from Lyons, Colorado, which is my home, a little bit outside of Boulder, Colorado, where the American Home Brewers Association offices are, and I'm proud to be the new Executive Director.
4: All right, congratulations. And Jeff? I'm Jeff Lyons uh, with Endless Life Brewing in Brooklyn, New York. And Ethan?
5: Hey, it's Ethan Cox here. I'm uh, owner and co-founder of Community Beer Works and I'm talking to you from Buffalo, New York. All right. So Julia, with, with your new position,
2: th- this is a, a very special time because you know, 10, 12 years ago, it seemed that the home brewers were such an important part of the conversation, and then we had a huge explosion of craft breweries in America. Um, so just give us your quick background worked at the Brewers Association a long time and what you're doing now and how they tie together.
3: Sure. When you refer to the Brewers Association, Jimmy, if people don't know, that's the national not-for-profit trade group that represents the majority of breweries in the United States. The Brewers Association um, in many forms has been around since uh, 1979 when it started as uh, the American Home Brewers Association. So, Brewers Association not only represents um, professional brewing and exists to promote and protect small and independent craft brewers, brewers, their beers, and the community of brewing enthusiasts, um, but also has the AHA. Um, and I started in this whole beer biz as a home brewer. I am um, a geeky home brewer at heart. Twelve gallon stainless um, kettle system with Cajun cookers out to my patio, and I've been brewing since uh, the '90s. Have a national homebrew competition. Uh, silver medal for old ale under my belt. Um, I've won for a fruited stout in BJCP or beer judge certification competitions, et cetera. And so the organization um, uh, on a national level is helping brewers and you know Jeff and Ethan can can talk to us about that in in many ways that were never predicted because of the pandemic, um, but also still continually doing institutional work. Uh, in terms of advocating for legislative and regulatory um, successes to allow legal homebrewing and um, you know, legal brewing and then tax relief um, and small business relief to today's brewers um, so they can fight the good fight you know, in, in a market that's dominated by large global international conglomerate brewers. Um, and so today, my charge as executive director of the AHA uh, is to really kind of be a voice and an advocate for the hobby that I already love. And I I wear a hose clamp on my finger that I show you in this um, Zoom call, uh, you know, for more than 10 years representing the hobby of homebrewing and how rewarding it is. And it teaches me about myself. It, it brings me closer to others, um, teaches me history. It teaches me geography. It teaches me culture. It teaches me um, to be more in touch with agricultural ingredients. So I really love being a brewer, and and this year, 2022, is all about bringing homebrewing to the masses in even a more robust way, and I'm pleased as punch to be leading the charge.
2: All right, so just as a good starting point, Julia, what came first, homebrewing or craft brewing?
3: Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, well, if you talk to uh, historians, and I am not one, Jimmy, we were um, in uh, you know, uh, Mesopotamic—if I'm even pronouncing that right—cultures, uh, okay. Mesopotamia and whatnot, um, brewing, right? And you have traces of uh, barley that had been fermented um, and converted uh, grapes, and also honey, so mead, um, in the earliest fermented beverages. But beer was in the mix, um, certainly in the beginning, on the homebrew level, right? Uh, early man and woman were brewing, and that's um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. They were not <laughs> selling it yet. They might've used it for barter, right? Um, For trade, uh, especially in Egypt and whatnot. Um, Troops over time have been paid in beer for their rations and whatnot. And then after, you know, the middle ages and hops really came on the scene too, you went from Gruet ales um, to hopped beers and also much more globally um, uh, the commercial side of brewing came to be. And so in the U.S. um, after prohibition, then you really get to small brewers that uh, kind of picked up the, um, the baton from the small brewers in the late 1800s. Um, we had 4,100 breweries in the late 1800s. Then you have Prohibition 1920 to 1933. Then you have Abysmal Era, where really in 1978, we had only gotten back to less than 100 brewing companies. Today, you have almost 9,000. Um, and so you have a very prolific um, uh, advanced brewing scene in the U.S. You also have a million plus one homebrewers, 1.1 million people homebrew beer. 37,000 of them are members of the American Homebrewers Association. Um, and so it's no longer a what is first or a chicken in the egg more so is what you would bring the conversation to because a lot of brewers, and I'll let my brother brethren um, talk now, you know, they're they're homebrewing to, to kind of go pro too. And they're tinkering in the kitchen on that first Batch to then brew it up on the pilot system to then make it go commercial and brew it, brew it more broadly. So, a lot of homebrewing still today touches the innovation and um, you know, experimentation of what's going on in the commercial side.
2: Yeah. And, and before I go to them, I just want to ask you just in specifics of some of your goals. You said there's over a million homebrewers, 37,000 members. What do you want to know about these people? Because some, some of them might brew once a year, some are brewing every week. What are some of your goals running the organization now?
3: Yeah, it's to continue to have homebrewing be relevant in your mind. Um, Also to be kind of your resource and accountability buddy on the national level. We're here to prompt you to remind you it's it's Big Brew in May. You know, the the biggest batch of beer made every year is run by the American Homebrewers Association with thousands of people brewing one batch of beer in their own individual locations and giving you reasons to brew. So you can keep, you know, your hands kind of in the brew kettle all year long. That's definitely one of the goals. Also, Jimmy, you know, Jeff and Ethan, you can reinforce this, but a lot of today in what came along in craft brewing, we don't want to get to that wine side and have beer become too complex, too intimidating, too unapproachable. And so it's to keep on the home brewing level for anyone that wants to not just drink beer, but brew it, keep the understanding that it can be very simple. If you can make soup, you can make beer. There are kits out there that I've even been brewing with that make world-class beer that are very quality. You don't have to do all grain um, like a commercial brewer, or you can. And then you start to geek out and get more science-minded and you know evil, evil scientists or mad scientists and chemistry-minded. But to keep the intimidation factor out of it, We want to remind people that their recipes are there, clone recipes for commercial brews. You want to brew your favorite beer from down the street. You know, there's recipes for that. Or you want to create your own version or you want to brew classic styles. That's all there resource-wise, recipe-wise through the American Homebrewers Association and many other amazing resources out there.
2: Yeah. Let's go to Ethan. Ethan, a little intro on you and, um, you know, your journey. I mean, I met you through a New York State event Several years ago, the governor was there. You you make some beers like The Whale, which is one of my favorites in New York State. Thanks. Tell us about you.
5: <laughs> well, I mean, it ties back to what Julia was saying. Uh, I came through the ranks of home brewing. Um, to me, when I discovered uh, that uh, through my stepbrothers, actually, that beer wasn't something that you had to buy at the supermarket, but rather you could just make it, sort of blew my mind. Um, especially my not yet 21 mind. Um, and uh, so uh, my route was uh, through homebrewing. And, uh, you know, also through the formal structure of homebrewing, I became BJCP certified and became a, a homebrewing judge and helped organize homebrewing competitions, everything from the steward level to the judging level um, to actually running the entire shebang. Um, by the time I was done and actually served as president of our homebrew club for a little while so I think home brewing is still very very vital and, uh, and and it's nice to see that there's still that exchange from home brewing to craft and then you know back to home brewing. Yeah. Um, went on to parlay that into founding community beer works We started making beer in 2012 um, so we're coming up on uh, coming up on a decade. Um, which puts us squarely in the, uh, as you were kind of saying, we got started right at the end of sort of the, or maybe the middle of the golden age of, uh, of craft beer. And uh, we've been, uh, we stuck it out through uh, the difficulties associated with the pandemic and everything else. Still going strong 10 years, almost 10 years later.
2: Thanks for coming on. We're going to talk about a lot today. Yeah. Let's get Jeff on too. So, Jeff, I, I met you as a home brewer and uh, you were part of some homebrew clubs. So, tell us about you.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very similar to Ethan, very similar to most brewers who are going to tell you their story. It, it definitely all started at, at, at home, uh, buy a kit and and try your hand at it and just become completely enamored with it and go down the rabbit hole. Um, the one thing I'd like to sort of emphasize that, that Julia was getting at or tangentially is, um, I probably didn't start homebrewing for, you know, nine months or a year after I thought I might want to do it just because I was intimidated by the potential depth of the science that was necessary. And sort of what she was saying is that there are kids out there that are so easy that if you're intimidated by that, I'd encourage you to just jump right in. It, you know, if you can make food at home, if you can cook at a very basic level, you can definitely make beer. <laughs> and, you know, now, I'm well into the science and and eager to learn more, but, you know, it intimidated me up front and I'd just like to encourage everybody to jump in if they have the inkling. But yeah, um, it was your back room at Jimmy's 43 where we were doing, uh, (laughs) doing BJCP classes and, you know, you've, you've been a huge steward for the, the homebrew community, but yeah, it's still, uh, we, we moved our Brooklyn bruisers, uh, one of the homebrew clubs in New York to endless life. Once, once we got open um and within a couple months of being open, we we hosted a homebrew event where we had probably a dozen or so homebrewers pouring beers in our space. So it's definitely, you know, definitely still have a foot uh and a heart in, in that community and, and try to keep the two going hand in hand.
2: Yeah. Hey Julia, so with American Homebrew Association, just tell us about the 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 role that trolley papazin played in that. And then also, um, why did homebrewers start making competitions? Like where did that come from?
3: Sure. Uh, I don't have an intimate knowledge of the beer judge certification program start dates for competitions. Um, but I'll go with the latter of the two first and then talk about, uh, amazing Charlie Papazian. (laughs) Um, you know, the, uh, The Great American Beer Festival, in its early day, basically started kind of as a homebrew competition, and that was in the early 80s, and then it evolved into a professional competition. So Charlie Papazian, founder of the uh, Great American Beer Festival, and then also founder of the American Homebrewers Association, um, Really, uh, by the way, is uh, 20 minutes um, as I point um, to the uh, to the south of me, uh, and really still a big force in what he did and does do for home brewing and professional brewing. Do you want to talk about kind of the 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 Godfather of brewing? Not just home brewing. It really is Charlie um, and some of some of the people that he was hanging out with. To do things like in 1978, get Jimmy Carter to legalize homebrewing and allow up to 200 U.S. gallons per family household to be legal that then, you know, we uh, started to all run with and brew. And and in Charlie's era in 1979, to celebrate the information that people were wanting and to satisfy the thirst for that on homebrewing, he started publishing Zymergy magazine. Um, which is still published today and, and part of American Homebrewers Association membership. You get it every other month if, if you're a member. Um, so, Charlie has done so many things to really see as a visionary what was needed. And one of the things he was inspired by was the Great British Beer Festival. And so, when he saw that and he came back, and there were fledgling brewers, um, you know, like a Garrett Oliver at Manhattan Brewing Company at the time and not even at Brooklyn yet. Um, or, you know, a Fritz Maytag who really started his work for Anchor in the late 60s and got going in the 70s, um, you know, or a Sierra Nevada that really got its kick going in the 1980s. They needed a place to compete against each other, to learn about brands that they were um, in the market against, to um, get judging going so they could get quality feedback. And still to this day, um, you know, we're getting ready to have national homebrew competition in Pittsburgh June, um, the week of June 20th. And I invite anyone that wants to enter the kind of Super Bowl of home brewing, enter the NHC, and you will uh, you know get feedback from beer judge certification certified or higher judges or World Beer Cup and Great American Beer Festival judges, and you will get um, judged and scored um, you know uh, in a way and comments in a way that uh, is different than any other beer judge certification program um, type of competition. So that's a lot. Uh, I, w- I would also answer that, you know, homebrew competitions are a great place to not only get the comments to improve your recipes, um, but also to uh, then um, get motivated to brew that same beer again and refine it. And that's how restaurants, you know, construct their menu. Their menu is not constructed from the first dish that they figure out to um, put on paper. They, they, they make it, they get feedback again and again, and then they home run it and then they offer it on the menu. Yeah.
2: That's what I wanted to ask Ethan, too. So when you were first, you know, homebrewing and, and coming a brewer, what, was there a moment that there was that you hit this learning curve, like an aha moment? Or was there a certain recipe that you made that, that the, the lights went off for you?
5: Oh uh, Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, I, I started with the, the gentle introduction of a kit as well. And uh, did that for quite some time before moving to uh, my first all-grain batches. Um, And, you know, it was a long time before I went from that to, you know, try to do things like lagers, which are a little bit more difficult at the homebrew scale sometimes if you don't have temperature control. Um, But I think uh, the first time I I made a beer that was so good that everybody else also thought it was good, as opposed to just me. that was, you know, that was a pretty nice, that's pretty nice moment. That's really the feedback you're kind of looking for. You got five gallons of it after all. So you do want some help. And, uh, and when, when other people were like, hey, you know, that's, that's actually pretty good. I, that, that changes things for you, you know, and you're like, pretty good? I bet I can make it very good or even better than that. So at that point, you know, you start to say, well, what do I have to do to actually make that so that you think it's even better than pretty good? And that's when you start going down the rabbit hole that Jeff kind of mentioned, you know, like, oh, well, what are the little smaller tips and tricks that I need to, to know to um to to really nail that? So, yeah.
2: Yeah. And then Julia, as your new role as executive director of American Homebrew Association, what are some of your goals? Like, I, I know that, are you trying to help diversify homebrewing, you know, what? what are some of the bigger picture goals that you think you can achieve in this job?
3: Sure, I wanna take the world-class resources that are already available through homebrewersassociation.org and American Homebrewers Association membership and make sure that anyone that has taken the time to join or um, was a member in the past to have them, um, you know, utilize those resources, contribute to the resources, Uh, And then also to, yeah, expand the audience. Part of the intimidation factor that we talked about earlier isn't just on on the act of home brewing, which can be as hard as trying to, you know, if I wanted to start paragliding or birding or knitting, that's kind of intimidating too, right? And so I want to take the intimidation factor out of the how to brew, but also the why we brew. And a lot of people want to brew or spend time with and learn from people that we identify with. And so I wanna make sure that all walks of life are homebrewing and, and mentoring others. And I think that's a great place to start. So you know, we don't only have 37,000 um, homebrew members and, and 1.1 million homebrewers, we have tens of millions of homebrewers and we have you know, hundreds of thousands of members. So oh, slowly and steady reminding in the conversation when beer comes up and you talk about homebrewing that the, the national organization is there, many free resources are there too. But if you want to really dial in for less than fifty bucks, you know, join us and be a part of a community that's ready to geek out with you, that's ready to talk um, in any form, most time, any time of day, um, to take your take your hobby further, so you are less frustrated and more successful.
2: So if I if I join, do I get the Zymurgy
3: magazine? Um, yes, you definitely do for <laughs> um, for sure. And I think that uh, it's funny because I'm just seeing a chat from uh, Ethan. I wrote a poem, um, you know, the joys of uh, Esther's. I was very poetic um, motion or mood that day. I'd have to find that Ethan, but like, here's the poetry of beer. Thank you for triggering that. Look, if I'm home brewing, you know what's going on right now? I've got a home brew carboy, five gallons, bubbling away in my favorite t-shirt next to my bed in my bedroom. Because it's warmer in my bedroom. So I'm going to ferment my ale. And there's Jeff showing us that five-gallon carboy in his office or room. And when I see that day in and day out, I am much more connected with that batch of beer. It's also listening to the music I listen to. The frequencies, the vibrations are talking to that yeast. I am smelling you know, the um, excess of CO2 that is expelling out of that carboy. And then I'm already starting to plot. Am I going to keg it? Am I going to bottle it? And then I get back to the romance of once I do that and taste it at every step of the way and take gravity readings. I'm really saying, should I bump this up with some fruit now? Should I barrel age it, throw in some wood chips? Should I just bring it into the office and get everybody to drink it because it's fresh? And hey, I've got somebody that's having a wedding soon and I'm gonna give them gifts. That's the type of poetry and beauty of homebrewing that it's once you brew on that day, you've got weeks of um, you know interaction with something that you created like immaculate fermentation is what I call it right and mother you know nature brings us yeast that then eats the sugar secretes alcohol and co2 and we need to be vehicles in that process that's some of the romance and poetry behind homebrewing
2: wow it uh, sounds like its own religion <laughs> in a good way that was a great question Ethan. Uh, Jeff we might as well ask some more questions
4: of Julia so she's not going to stay too long Jeff Oh man, I have so many. You've got me all fired up. I want to go like mash in right now. Totally, I
3: agree. <laughs> Fire what up to do? Stove. What are you gonna make?
4: Let's let's go. Oh, I've actually been uh, in the in the process. I haven't brewed so much at home over the past uh, six or six or twelve months. I've been insanely busy with my getting my own project off the ground. But um, I do still brew at home. I still identify as a home brewer. Um, and what I showed you was, uh, one of the Lambic style, like spontaneous beers, um, that I've made. I mean, been going through those over the past week, trying to see what, uh, they've been neglected. So I'm trying to see what's still good and what can be blended and saved and what needs to just see the, uh, see the drain. But yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. Um, so many questions for Julia. I don't know. Ethan, jump in. Do you have anything?
5: Well, I you know one of the things that I've noticed about homebrewing as it's evolved over all these years is that the you know when I started there were maybe ten grains you could buy, possibly twenty hops, maybe all three yeasts, and now really anything that a commercial brewer can buy, a home brewer can buy. So what's next? Like what what more could a home brewer want or expect on down the road in terms of ingredients or equipment or process?
3: I love that question, Ethan. Um, and I, one of the talks that I want to prepare is what's hot in home brewing. And I'm going to use my travels across the U.S. and also the ability to survey um, American Home Brewers Association members to tell me what's hot. Mm-hmm. But you bring to mind that home brewing wasn't always um, as easy to do as it was to commercially brew because you, have to, you would have to buy things in such big batches. Um, Right now, it's still really hard to can, for example, if you're a home brewer, right? Um, But in the early days, there were, uh, you know, uh, suppliers or ingredient suppliers like Brees, where they took a stand and said, we're not just going to make, you know, uh, malt for professional brewers, we're going to account for home brewers and sell in smaller quantities. You had companies like White Labs, right? The yeast, we could then pitch at the right quantities and only buy it for five or $10, of you know a bag instead of having to buy a huge amount that professional brewers would buy for hundreds of dollars and use that, you know, eight, 10 generations at a time. So I think we're kind of past that era, except for in packaging, I'd love to see homebrewers get more options on that level. And I often think about too the safety side of things. You can't just like go willy-nilly. When you're homebrewing, you really are kind of in a manufacturing facility and you know you should be wearing gloves and eyewear and Boots that are heat proof in case you spill, you know, there's a lot of um, things that have happened to professional brewers and homebrewers. So safety comes to mind in advancing homebrewers' ability to just check the list and know what they're doing to safely homebrew. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then, you know, I just was in Chicago spending time with Randy Moser and Ray Daniels, two of my mentors, two of the first I went to after Charlie Papazian and Gary Glass, and said, Now that I'm at the helm of homebrewing, what should I be doing to help um, bring homebrewing forth? Um, And, you know, they both had really good insight. But one of the things that came up when it talks about beer styles is is that homebrewers have really helped establish pretty much every beer style out there. Not just the typical example, um, if you hang in the circles enough to, you know, have followed the history, like American Brown Ale. That came along because of homebrewers in Texas and Charlie Papazian and Fred Eckhart, And people like that that experimented with an English style and brought it to a maltier place and really kind of, uh, you know, evolved it and made it American. A lot of that, you know, has gone on. Um, And so most of uh, the beer styles today have really been born in kitchens. And that's that's still happening. I don't know what homebrewers are going to brew next. I'd I'd love for you all to tell me.
5: Oh, uh, Ethan, you stick with it because you're doing great. (laughs) Well, you know, Julia mentioned something. Near and dear to my heart, and and you actually mentioned this at the opening of the show. the the whale is a brown ale, and uh, it's a brown ale that one hundred percent was born out of a homebrew recipe, not my own, but uh, CBW's original brewer, a guy named uh, Rudy Watkins. and uh, and it was inspired by, I think, Randy Mosher's book because I think he was bemoaning the fact that people didn't use faucet brown ale very or brown malt very much. And he was like, well, Let's build a recipe around faucet brown malt. And the whale to this day, to me, really is a liquid poem to faucet brown malt. That's what it is. Hey.
4: Jeff, you ready?
2: You had a question?
4: What are uh, you were talking about all the all the styles that you know have been revived or invented by by homebrewers. What are some of the with the newest um addition of the BJCP guidelines? What are some of the, the newer ones that you're excited about or that you feel that home brewers are excited by?
3: So now you're really testing me because, first of all, the great, uh, Beer Judge Certification Program just announced new beer style guidelines for 2021. And my dog is telling me it's time to wrap up real quick, so I'll try to finish my sentence. Um, so I'm not going to be able to answer that question, but I will say on the beer style guidelines, um, that's one of the indicative places to find the trends is look at the beer styles, look at what's entered the National Homebrew Competition, um, look at what brewers are entering in Great American Beer Festival, the numbers of entries and how things evolve. And then you're going to start to see, you know, the emerging style that then finally gets recognized. Like Brute IPA did get added in the 2021 BJCP new styles. Um, How many years did that take? And frankly, that's after the big curve of IPAs. Um, maybe they'll come back strong, but possibly not in the way that they were three or four years ago. So style guidelines are always going to be a step behind because they take their time to have something be established before you would definitely put it into being a style. So I think, Jeff, I love that question and give me this year to try to answer that in a better prolific way as I hang in kitchens and patios all across the U.S. and and, and <laughs> hang out and brew. And Woo. maybe I'll get, get lucky enough to brew with the three of you.
2: Oh, Yeah. That'd be great. We, we'll we'll cook something up. I think we're going to talk about that as soon as you step off. So yeah, you're welcome to uh, Blackboard right.
5: anytime, Julia.
3: All right, Ethan and Jeff, let's plot something with Jimmy on a recipe, and I'll let you know when I'm coming to New York. And Jimmy, I'll I got to bounce so you can get to the rest of your show with these guys. Thank you for the opportunity. Just want to say happy brewing to everyone out there. Um, and uh, it's a very rewarding hobby. Dabble, go for it, and there's lots of resources out there for you when you need it. And Julia, what, what's Charlie's famous quote? Relax. Don't worry. Have a home brew. All right. Hey,
2: we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks so much, Julia. We'll be back in a few minutes. Woo! Bye-bye, everybody. You too. Bye-bye.
1: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. you can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
2: Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org. Wow, guys, we got um Ethan Cox and, and Jeff Lyons, and we just got to talk with Julia hers of now she's the executive director of the American Homebrew Association. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, do I want to say something about Julia or about her role? Because for so long she was at the Brewers Association, she was out there doing so much education. You know, I know she had a book about pairing food and beer. Um, it's kind of great to see her just jump into this other side of it. Um I don't know if anybody yeah. wants
5: to. I will say that, you know, um, early in the pandemic, um, trade organizations, all of them across a lot of different sectors, you know, had um, a problem on their hands and the BA was no exception. There were a number of um, people who who left the organization. She was one of them. And that was it was a profound that was profoundly sad um, because of her role over. All those years, she was very much the public face or a public face of beer and brewing. Um, and so uh, I'm super glad that she's found a way back in and, and and a prominent way back in and can continue to advocate so strongly for, for the beverage that we love. So I, I'm i I'm really, really glad to see her back. Um, and, you know, I think that's a different role for her and I think she will thrive at it.
2: Well, one of my thoughts just coming into the show is that, you know, there's so much pressure on, you know, commercial breweries right now to, you know, whether they're doing hard seltzer or, or other versions that I don't necessarily consider a beer. And I'm not going to judge that. But I do think that with Julia being head of the American Homebrew Association, and she was talking about styles, I feel like that people do have a hunger to try different styles of beer. And I feel like that, that there's going to be this next generation of people that are going to be able to really experience different beer styles. Um, I don't know, Jeff, what, what 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 do you think of how's homebrewing compared to like working in a brewery and you know the amount of exploration? Because those little competitions and, and clubs you, you're part of, what are some of the styles that people are making?
4: Well I think that's some of the beauty of homebrewing is the the wide range that you see. I think when you go to a homebrew meeting or homebrew, you know, festival or competition. Uh, I think you see a much wider range of styles represented than you do uh, if you just walk into an average brewery uh, tap room in in this country. But I think that's one of the the beauties of those events. But it's also every single person that we can uh, encourage to homebrew. I think that the world of beer opens up to them instead of just having hazy IPA after hazy IPA. Uh, <clears throat> I think often when you when you get involved with homebrewing, you you quickly find how wide that world is and you start to find appreciation for at least a couple of the styles. Uh, and then, you know, bit by bit, you, you kind of grow into appreciating a, a pretty wider ar- array of beer. And so, you know, as, as a brewer and as a brewery owner, uh, I, <laughs> I would love it if every person that walked into my tap room home homebrew, just for that simple fact of a little bit, uh, deeper appreciation of maybe what it takes to create what ends up in the glass. Uh, it's not just magic; it's an agricultural product, and, and a little bit of knowledge of, of how that happens and the work that goes into it, but also just a wider appreciation of, of you know, varied styles.
2: Yeah. Hey, Ethan. Yeah. Uh, we we started talking uh, I don't know a month or so ago about making a beer together, and you were really yeah. adamant about
5: making it an all New York
2: State beer.
5: Yes. Well, there's there's all kinds of reasons. Um, Certainly, one, I mean, we're from New York State, Jeff and I, and so, of course, uh, we love our native industry, and that includes now uh, native uh, input, um, which has really come a long way. Historically, New York actually did supply um, first a little bit of malt, uh, but that changed pretty quick. Uh, There are definitely sort of more ideal places to grow uh, large amounts of barley. Uh, But New York State also, up until around the late 1800s, was the main place where hops were grown in the U.S. Um, That industry also kind of went away uh, because when they got out to uh, the Pacific Northwest and the yields were like twice as much per acre, it doesn't really do your prices very well back in New York State. So, um, But it's nice to see both of those things returning. So New York State barley getting malted in New York State, and New York State hops uh, including varietals that uh, eventually we will have varietals that are you know exclusive to New York State. So yeah, I think for Jeff, as well as for myself, there is, a, there is a desire to promote what we've got. And I think what we've got is pretty special and it is unique. It can't be replicated elsewhere because terroir matters. So um, that's one of the ba- main reasons. Of course, uh, I wear many hats. Ha, ha, ha. And uh, <laughs> right now I'm wearing my New York State Brewers Association hat. I served on the board for the New York State Brewers Association for nine years. I stepped down from my board position in December, uh, was my last meeting after nine years. It's, it's a little weird, actually, to miss a meeting. Um, but advocating for New York State is what I've been doing um, in my spare time, whatever spare time that was, in my volunteer time. So, of course, uh, when we started discussing uh, the idea of putting a beer together, um, my first thought was, well, hey, we're all New Yorkers here. New Yorkers should think and drink New York.
2: Yeah. And then Jeff, tell us about Endless Life Brewing. Um, are you only making beers with New York State ingredients?
4: Yep. So we're we're a hundred percent. We're fortunate enough to have come to be at a time where that was uh not only possible but uh exciting uh to to be able to play with all the different flavors that are unique to you know what's available to us in New York is uh, it's been a blast. it's been fun. It's been you know a learning curve, but it's always enjoyable and I think that we're we're you know the quality uh, is increasing at a at a pretty incredible rate and you know the the opportunities to sort of let those flavors dictate where your beers go um i think I think is very fun, very enjoyable and i I think we're not far from basically creating some new styles just because of some of the flavors that are available to us that anybody not using New York ingredients, uh, isn't going to have, uh, at their fingertips.
2: Oh yeah. No, looking forward to it. Hey, a separate thing. Um, let's talk about recipe inspiration. So Ethan, we were talking about a Yule or a holiday beer. Um, it, what's the style of beer that that's like one of your favorites or that you like to make or drink? Is
5: is it a barley wine? Uh, If you know, you know, and uh, if you know me, you know, I love barley wine. It is my favorite style. It is probably not the beer I drink the most of because barley wine. Um, (laughs) But um, I love it for its richness richness and depth of character. Um, When you, you know, when you can load up the mash tun with all, Everything like that, you can really you can really crank out a very um, complex um, beer that you know is a nice warming because of the alcohol, but also like a sipping beer, a beer that too, you can savor, and a beer that's just great for a cold night, especially if you can you know get your feet up by a fire while you while you enjoy it, and then that's that's really what I love so much about that style. But yeah, obviously at 10, 11, 12, oh, nice, 13% ABV. Um, those are not, you know, session beers, right? And I certainly have a great love for um, beers at the lower end of the ABV spectrum as well, uh, because, you know, those are the beers that you can drink a few of. Oh, beautiful. Hey, I know well, that Jeff, question.
2: wait, don't Jeff, you, you may be on video, but this is an audio show, so. Sorry, right. You just, you just held up a couple of things. What, what do you... Holding up, Jeff.
5: Tell us more.
4: Well, I, I'm at home and my beer fridge is right behind me, and he gets <laughs> to talking about barley wine, and I wanted to see what I had uh, available. So I, I have a bottle from Willow Rock and a couple cans from Torch and Crown. Some some barrel aged barley wine. Yeah,
5: yeah. I, I, Those are great beers. I mean, uh, I I love the style. What can I say? Yeah.
2: So let's pretend that that Julia well, Julia will come back. Let's say <laughs> the three of us get together, um, and we're going to make a if you guys are going to make it. I'm just going to watch and drink it. But um, some kind of homebrew collab. It could be a small batch collab at your, one of your breweries. Um, how do you get started? That's always the like one thing we were talking. Ethan, you pulled up an old Ron Patterson book with a like a, a ingredient list. Mm-hmm. How, how do you how do you look at a, a recipe and think about the beer you might want to make?
5: Sure, I mean. Often you start with um, a style that you want to make, and that's going to start. That's going to start delineating, you know, some of the, some of the malts, some of the hops, possibly the yeast. Um, You know, when once you start considering, well, when the beer is complete, I would like people to say it's this style. Okay, well, if it's gonna, if people are gonna agree that it is this style, then certain things are probably going to have to be true, unless. You're saying, "Oh well, I want to I want to make a variation on this theme," and that's another direction that you can go in. But for me, um, most often it starts by deciding on a style, and then we start kicking around the ideas of the traditional ingredients, and then maybe we start kicking around the ideas of, "Well, how can we subvert that and make you know a variation on the style or make it more our own?" Um, and that can be anything from Substituting uh, New York State, for example, ingredients where you know you might have to use German ingredients to normally make a really really awesome Hellas. But what can we do with New York State input? I think we could probably make a pretty awesome Hellas, honestly. Um, or you know, uh, yeah, considerations usually around style are where I begin. Um, ABV can be the very next level, although that often is tied to the style. Uh, but if you want to make something imperialized, or if you want to make a session version of something, uh, then you start, you know, figuring out. Okay, well, I got to change my grain bill, the amount of base malt or whatever it is I'm doing, if I want to hit uh, a particular gravity.
2: Yeah.
4: And what about for you, Jeff? We're we're actually uh, just just real quickly, Ethan. We're uh, we're making a Hellas tomorrow, an <laughs> endless life, uh, all New York ingredient <laughs> Hellas, So. We're using some malt from Ted at New York Craft Malt and some hops from Chris Holden at uh, New York Hop Guild. Uh, oh. Jimmy, uh, two, of, two of the people that we had on last time I was on your show. Oh, that was a great yeah. show too.
2: I, I will say yeah. one thing about the show that's very encouraging is that I, I am a little tired. I feel bad for some beer and alcohol writers because they they seem like they can only cover these big stories about acquisitions and and, you know, Problems and and human, you know, HR departments and other things, and I I just like that that I feel like with Julia with her new job I feel like everything she says is going to come true, that there are millions of people that that want to or can make beer and they're going to explore styles and and we're not going to have to worry about can I walk into a pub and and get the choice of a triple and a farmhouse German wheat and a Hellas and and something else you know um it's kind of like going to both of your places so what's behind you jeff i want to point out endless life because you really just opened last year and i had your um your mexican style lager that's called what is that called The,
4: the Parasambra. Parasambra.
2: yeah and, and i had that with um some clams that was one of my beers of the summer um is there any other beer you want to give a shout out to just a, as a style
4: uh, yeah, uh, I I love lambic style beer, and I absolutely love saison, probably above all else. And uh, we, uh, not too long ago, just released a barrel aged saison that's tasting incredible. So every time I'm at the tap room, it's hard to I have to I have to push myself to you know try other beers when I'm there instead of just the go to is just autopilot straight to the saison.
2: Well, I just want to say to Jeff that, you know, I'm so happy for you. I've known you as a home brewer and brewer and you worked in a couple other great breweries over the years. Um, really looking forward to trying more Endless Life and seeing where you go with it. And, and Ethan, it's our first time talking. Um, back to the whale and community beer works. We're, we'll do a quick one. Early story from, from starting that, that brewery and brand and, you know, you're up in Buffalo, so not as many people in New York City knew about you. But when I when I tried your beers at the New York State event, I you're on my map right away.
5: Thanks. I remember it well, actually, because uh, it was a bit of a frustrating uh, day for me. Our, uh, our distributor. Uh, let's just say there were some hiccups. So will name no names. Um, but instead of having two beers on tap, I was only able to have. One beer on on tap, and it was the whale, so that meant I didn't have uh, a hoppy beer to offer. And already, even at that time, hops were becoming you know sort of more of a thing. wasn't It wasn't quite you know heady topper yet, but hops were still a thing. And I felt, oh no, here I am representing, and all I've got is this brown ale. I love it. I believe in it, but who am I going to convince? And the answer turned out to be Jimmy. <laughs> i did insulting. like it and, yeah and
2: it was memorable but, but that's a good story and then another yeah. one so when you started out you're, you're you're in buffalo um we've talked to a couple guys like like mike from uh, thin man mm-hmm. um i don't know what you make a lot of beer for sports is is there a way to define buffalo <laughs> as a brewer um.
5: I don't think that there has emerged yet a real uh buffalo style um you know uh, I don't know that there is like anything that you can really call a buffalo style IPA or anything really yet um that may yet happen but we definitely have some really great breweries cranking out a pretty decent variety of stuff and uh I'd love, I'd love for something to emerge, but it's going to have to be organic. I don't think we can sit around and plan it out. Uh, but I think maybe the day will come when you know, kind of out of the scene, something that's really just ours um, could happen. I'd love to see that. We certainly have enough breweries and enough creativity in brewing for me to see that possibly happening, but I don't think it really has quite yet.
2: Yeah. All right, guys. This is such a great little show. We can we could talk more, but I think I think we did it. I, I really wanted to get Julia on, and so so happy that you guys were able to join in. And hopefully, um, like what a lot of these shows lead to more relationships. And I hope that Julia does come out east. I know she will, and hopefully she stops off in Buffalo and Brooklyn and, and sees you guys. Um, so thanks so much for joining me. Uh, anything last to say, Jeff? Because um, I'm just like you know when you're parched and you're like I just want one of Jeff's loggers. Right
4: now, yeah. nice. uh, thanks. Thanks for that. Well, I think just real quickly to continue on Ethan's Ethan's uh, train of thought there. I think locally we're blessed with a really wide variety of uh, breweries and beers, uh, beer styles across the city. But you know, I obviously working with 100 percent New York ingredients, uh, I have I have, I have uh, Jason Saylor to tip my hat to who was sort of the OG locally for us and. Um, Alex Biederman, who's the, the head brewer over there, has been doing some incredible things. Um, and I I really think that they're sort of on the precipice of starting to break through into a little bit of new territory there, where, you know, it was just excellent beer that was pretty much to style. And I think that particularly with sort of their pub ales, like beers inspired by British, uh, like bitters, ESBs, best bitters, things of that nature. Um, I think they have one or two that are staying true. And I think they have one or two that seem to be pushing a little bit in the directions that we were talking about earlier, where those New York ingredients are allowing beers to become something new uh, and forging new ground. So I think locally, that's, that's who I look to, to uh, sort of put a new foot forward for all of us to be inspired by.
5: Strong Rope is absolutely awesome. Making great stuff. Yeah. Hey, what
2: are you drinking, uh, Ethan?
5: So um, I figured it would be a sort of a good. Tr- I didn't have a regular whale on hand, but I do have Chaco Taco Whale. It's one of the whale variants that we made, and yes, um, it literally involved a bunch of waffle cones in the mash, and uh, it emulates the flavor of a Chaco Taco pretty well, to be honest. And um, coming in at, uh, I'm gonna forget the abv let me just look real quick oh 7.8 it's a little stiffer than normal whale as well um but it it holds up it it, it brings the beer together i mean much like a, a good rug brings the room together
2: <laughs> a good rug i love that one and mm. i got. i'm i've been in boston area i'm drinking some notch oh nice uh, yeah he actually has a like a session ipa even though we mostly drink his lagers and what are you drinking jeff
4: uh, I have one of uh, Endless Life's cultures It's called Construed to Waste Your Time And it's about Half the size Of what Ethan's drinking Which is <laughs> Where I like to keep it <laughs> In the very Sessionable range
2: Wow Oh man I wish you we were in person And we will be again So um, Thanks so much guys Thanks to Armando Engineer Thanks to Julia Jeff and Ethan For joining me here On Beer Sessions Radio We'll catch you next time On Heritage Radio Network Alright guys Woo Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization